Welcome podcast listeners, uh, we're here for another podcast, just Tony and myself here today, uh, Jamie's off, he's left us, but uh, today we're talking business and family business, Tony. Yeah, and talking family business, we do forgive Jamie for not being here today because his family business is getting married on Friday, yeah. uh, so they are off for that, which uh, will be we heading down tomorrow actually, having a long weekend and getting ready for his wedding on Friday to the long-suffering Jess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the best to Jamie and Jess for yeah, Friday. Definitely. Um, she's done very well to, to put up with him for this long. But, um, I thought you were going to say yeah. she's done really well in getting him. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, Jamie knows we love him. Um, so Tony... We're reading an article um, regarding family business and um, being passed down the generations. And um, there's some statistics here that say that only 13% of successful family businesses actually last through three generations before being sold out of the family. Now, do you see that as accurate? No, it's not. It's definitely not accurate. Um, And what they've done is they've cherry-picked numbers out of um so for example privately owned businesses so they've cherry-picked those numbers so as an example uh walmart is still their larger shareholders are still the uh the walton family now johnson and johnson their larger shareholders are still the johnson family so it's not a family-owned business because it's publicly listed companies that you and i could buy shares in today but from that aspect, that statistic is stating only 13%, but that is keeping in private hands. Yeah. So the bigger the business, uh, the less likely it actually is to actually pass down to family members. Family members still reap the benefits and rewards of what maybe grandpa and grandma or great-grandpa and grandma actually built together. But in saying that, the, the overall results are that they are beneficiaries of, not necessarily running the business. Mm-hmm. Whereas the traditional family businesses we discuss, I mean, every business started as owned by an individual as a family business. Yeah. So, you know, Macquarie Bank was once owned by four guys who put it together mm-hmm. uh, back in 85, I think it was, who actually, so it's only been around since 85, you know, Challenger was started by Bill Island, uh, you know, back in 84. So these these large companies that we can all buy shares in today, they were started by an individual once upon a time. It wasn't just going straight to a listed behemoth, behemoth that it is today. Yeah, yeah. And so they would not be considered to be uh, still within the family, even though the majority shareholder may be an original family member. Yeah, or a trust that now has several family members. So... We were over in uh, the States a few years ago, Jamie and I, and I was a guest speaker um, to a bunch of high net worths uh, clients at the Learner Group in Chicago. And what was interesting is when you're going around the room, there were a number of people in that room who were actually intergenerational wealth transfer. And so these are people who are in their 40s and 50s who had inherited their wealth. Now, if you think of the intergenerational wealth transfer from a business perspective as well, you've actually got, um, I think it's in the US now, they're going into the fourth intergenerational wealth transfer. Within Australia, we're realistically only going into our first intergenerational wealth transfer over the next two decades. Uh, It's probably started about five years ago and going into the next two decades. 
And then if you think of Europe, which is a really old economy, you can be going into the eighth intergenerational wealth transfer. So you might have a surname like Rothschilds as an example, but you've also got, you know, 13 other hundred descendants to share in that trust distribution income from. So Mm. from that aspect, you might, they might distribute a hundred million dollars a year in trust dividends, but 1300 people, it's, you know, distributed quite um, frugally. There's yeah. not a lot of money coming. But well, if you the, take well, if you take the Waltons though, the Walt, uh, from Walmart, yeah. Sam Walton, who started that, he only passed away ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his children, uh, a couple of his children, still sit on the board. They don't run the business, but their dividend check last year was sixty billion dollars. Yeah, wow. That's not bad. Yeah, sixty billion dollars. Yeah, so and that's quite common, is it? As uh, we were talking about earlier about how um, business owners that may move on as they get on in age and they pass um, control of the company down, um, yeah. but they'll remain on the board yep. um, and taking dividends, and they'll still be quite influential within the company. Yeah, where the difference lies is when Sam Walton was the CEO of Walmart and the chairman, which he was forever until the day he died, actually. So he was still doing deals at his uh, in hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day he actually passed away, he wanted to know the numbers, and he told him what the goals are for the company in the next 10 years, and he died 24 hours later. Yeah. So he certainly worked mm-hmm. uh, until his last day, dying day. He was actually quite a frugal man. Um, and if you think of Walmart, it's quite a frugal store mm-hmm. from that aspect. It's, uh, you know, mass production at uh, or mass sale at low price. Low margins, yeah. Uh, low margins. And if you have a look at Walton's, uh, he only, the highest salary he ever took was 500000 US. Okay. Now, their current CEO is on 500000 US a month. <laughs> so, and he's regarded, and that's regarded as a small salary. But at the same time, if Sam Walton was getting dividend checks of 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion, so yeah. in other words, from yeah. the profitability, so he wasn't bleeding the company, uh, so he basically put his money back in. He always did in respect to growing the business, but he wasn't bleeding it from a salary perspective. But his grandchildren and great grandchildren, as beneficiaries, uh, they're, they're living like kings. It doesn't mean, though, one of the things that he taught all his family is just because you're my grandchild, if you want to get a job here, you get a job as a, as a trolley boy. Yeah. So yeah. you're not... You're not yeah, you no favours because of the bloodline. No, yeah. no favours whatsoever. Yeah. So it's And that can be actually the downfall of a few of family businesses mm. is when they favour the bloodline rather than actually having the right people yeah. involved in that. So, and so what about a case, a case of that would, for example, be um, the Murdochs? In a way, yes, it's um, you know, it's it's a name that causes either love or hate. Yeah. Uh, the Murdochs. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of myths around the Murdochs, and probably a lot of fact in those myths as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard to tell at times. But if you take that as an example, uh, we know that, for example, just recently one of his sons, I don't think it was Lachlan. Um, it was James, James Murdoch, was yeah. It? So who, who? Thank you, Willard. Who whispered in our ears then? <laughs> so it's um, who recently resigned from his position uh, at I think it was a Fox News because he didn't have, which he's chair of Fox News, because he didn't have the same opinion as his father regarding climate change. Yeah. So and that's the thing is, you know, Rupert might be getting into his nineties now or close to. But he still runs it. He's still the patriarch. He still runs that show and what Rob Rupert says goes. So you might have his sons as 
chairman of Fox News or chairman of uh, News Corp or whatever the case may be. But in saying that, what Rupert says still goes. Yeah. So yeah. he hasn't given them the autonomy to actually run the business. Yeah. In the control urban. hasn't been passed down. Yeah, and you know James basically stated that he doesn't believe in that and he's not going to publish that and he resigned. Now, in saying that, he's not going on a dole queue. Mm. You no. know, so he's so, uh, not the most difficult decision to make in that position. No, he's still worth you know a billion dollars US or more in his own yeah. right, and still gets dividend checks and all the rest of it, and family distributions through the Murdoch Trust. Yeah, but you know, he's uh, so it's not as if he's resigning on. But he's just turned around and say, "Sorry, I don't believe in your way of thinking, and I'm not going to produce that because it's mm-hmm. against what I believe." Mm-hmm. So that's that's quite a stance. I mean, it's not a stance that's going to cost him money, yeah. uh, but it's it's quite a stance to actually take against someone who is notoriously the boss. Yeah, yeah. So, his way. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and sometimes putting your children on the boards means that you are actually are still the boss because you can be quite a, if you're an overbearing parent. You're not letting them flourish in their own way. You're not letting them actually build and take it to the next level. And I was talking to you about um, a friend of ours yesterday uh, who you met online yesterday, and he took over his father's business. And his father had a successful business. Now, he actually started business management and accounting. Yeah. And it's a completely different area, uh, his father's business is. It's uh, more trade, you could mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And he took it over and he saw the opportunity there and he said, if I'm taking this over, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. But he was given that autonomy as well. He was given the yeah. autonomy and he has a very strong personality anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he's very entrepreneurial and he has built an absolute empire, mm-hmm. uh, an absolute empire. So so based on that, it was a family business where his father said, yes, you can. He saw an opportunity and he ran with it and he has he's just become such a success through hard work, entrepreneurship and visionary and uh, you know that's and that's you know and he sp- he spent time on the tools as well. He didn't yeah. just sit in an office and tell people to go and do things. No, no, uh, absolutely. So, and so, what about some of the businesses that that we some other businesses we deal with that might be ranging from valuations of between a, a few million up to twenty or thirty or fifty million? How does it differ based on the value of the business in terms of passing down the generations? The more valuable the business, the less likelihood it will go down to a it will pass down to a gener. And pass down to a family member, say, to be the CEO. Yeah. Uh, usually, the more valuable or more successful the business is, the higher the likelihood of it being either listed or another company taking it over yeah. and a larger competitor saying, yeah, we're going to take yeah, you over. Threat, I'll take you. Yeah, yeah. and it's really then when you consider that is you own a business and let's say Willard's your son. And Willard works in the business um, and in saying that, though, you're being offered a check for $30 million. And as part of that check, Willard doesn't get to work in the business anymore. Willard has to go and get a job somewhere. That's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're 65 years old or if you're 60 years old, uh, there's a lot more likelihood of you passing away and still leaving money to Willard yeah. uh, and his family, etc., cetera, or your other, your other children as well. Uh, than what there is of it running out. So that's where the real intergenerational wealth transfer happens. But then there's you know there's other great family examples here in Australia like the Albert family, the Albert record label. Yeah. And you know so David Albert is currently running that and he is the uh, 
great nephew of the Albert that everyone knows, who was the basically brought on to vinyl records, you know, the likes of Skyhooks, ACDC, all the great rock and roll, Australian rock and roll, uh, the Easy Beats, yeah, um, etc. So they and you know he was notorious for just doing handshake deals, but he never reneged on them. Yeah, there's never written contracts, but he never ever reneged on a handshake deal that he ever made. Now, if you have a look at that family, they're fifth generation now. Uh, there's actually all cousins, so they're not siblings. They're actually all cousins, actually running different divisions of that business. They're no longer, you know, pressing records and things like that. Uh, they sold that business to Sony BMG, but they run a VC fund. They run a philanthropy fund. Uh, they uh, have their own private investments. They still have management rights, things like that as well. So, so that they're business diversified. Has, yeah. So that business has passed down the generations. Fifth generation now. Yes. Yeah. So for, However, uh, it's been they've been. D- different trading entities throughout that period. Correct, but also too, in when uh, we are having breakfast with David up in Sydney uh, a few months back, and the interesting part is there's five cousins currently in the business, but there's there's more than that who are involved, yeah. uh, but there's five cousins who are currently running the business. None of them went out of school or university and worked in the business. They were sent all over the place. So mm-hmm. off to Switzerland to work in merchant banking, off here to do this. So none of them actually walked out of school into the business. Uh, and that, that's, that's a big, in other words, you're going to go out there in the real world first. Yeah. And then if you want to come back to the family business, then we will consider it. But you don't get a job because of your surname. Yeah. It's yeah. It basically how do you actually add value to, uh, yeah. to the and business. And you're, you're probably you're doing. doing the right thing by them as well, giving them the opportunity to get out there, see something else, see something different, experience yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and, and then add value to the business. Oh yeah, and don't get me wrong. You know, we, you know, as as parents who run family businesses, we love our children. But if your children don't have the right skill set, yeah. you, you know, realistically, you you can push all you want. But if you if your children don't have the right skill set, your legacy is going to disappear. Yeah, and then in in the case of um, some smaller businesses, it may it may actually be in the interest to sell the business to external parties and then um, have your children come on as employees of the business without a shareholder. It really comes down to your personality as the business owner. If you're going to let your children run the business but not have them run the business, mm. in other words, you're still hanging around, is the business going to be able to change and pivot? Because, yeah. you know, there's uh, we're of different generations. We have different mindsets. Uh, there's a couple of investments that I've done that I would not have done if it wasn't for you guys, mm-hmm. uh, changing my old adage of mindset as well. So, you know, Willard is smiling because every time I say that, he keeps smiling and thinking after pay, which I refuse to get into just out, <laughs> just because I just refuse to now, Willard. So, yeah. so, so, or Tesla, because I can't stand their CEO, Rockstar. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, um, so the... The basis of it, though, is that there are things that if you're not open-minded, you can become very stale and do, no, Mm. this is the way we've done it for 30 years. Well, realistically, do you have 30 years experience or do you have 31-year experiences? Mm. So sometimes allowing the autonomy of the younger generation or your children being involved actually helps in that entire process, future process, of actually making the business even more valuable. Yeah. So you might have wisdom but you might not necessarily have uh technological yeah or uh, even the innovative mindset that, that's right that so comes with youth and um being yep. brought up different ways yep. or uh, um, using different products and services as you grow up and what you do find though is you usually find family-owned businesses are usually more conservative 
they hold on to cash, they don't like debt yeah. uh, because it affects the family than yeah. what, say, a, a large listed uh, company is mm-hmm. because they're using everyone else's money. Yeah. Now, if the yeah. CEO makes a mistake, he just gets sacked and turns up somewhere else as a CEO on a high-paid job. So the so you usually find they're more conservative, they're more a bit more frugal, uh, they do hold on to cash, they don't just pay out dividends all the time. Mm-hmm. It is about growing the business. Um, and sometimes that type of that type of thought process can be a hindrance. So as an example, for the last five years, all, all of our profit we've ploughed back into the business mm. uh, for the growth because we want to achieve growth. Now, if you're a business that is just ploughing the profits out, you're never going to achieve the growth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the bank's not going to necessarily loan you money if all you're doing is bleeding the company dry every single year. Yeah. Uh, so if I want to make an acquisition, the bank actually likes the fact that I don't rely on dividends mm-hmm. uh, to leave a lavish lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, so a, it's similar to having a, an investment portfolio, re- reinvesting distributions back into the portfolio, get greater long-term growth, same applies to the business. And that's and that's where when we advise family businesses, it is a case of, well, what are your actual goals? Yeah. What do you actually want to do? You're just going to close the doors and walk away. So if you're a self-employed plumber, you've got no choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good luck trying to sell your plumber thingy, whatever it is, mm-hmm. plunger, mm-hmm. <laughs> plunger, <laughs> so, I don't know, so, so, so you look at these hands, there's no manual labour yeah. in these hands, so, 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 but it's, but the, but what I'm saying though is what is the end goal, so if your end goal is actually uh, that you are building something which you do want to sell, well then you have to make sure it's structured correctly to avoid paying as minimal tax as possible, yeah. but there is. If you've got a business that you're not seeking a high valuation at the end of it to sell, then it's not the worst thing to just pay yourself decently as you go. Correct. Uh, that's exactly yeah. right, uh, and and that's and that's the opportunity so that you have. But usually, if you are planning on potentially selling the business and exiting the business you should be looking at doing that over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a bit different than doing a capital raise uh, where you're making sure the business is all sweet and ready to go for a capital raise and the due diligence pack is already done. This is more about getting the business into a wonderful position so somebody looks at the books and says, yeah, I, I'm happily going to buy this business or borrow money to buy this business at a good valuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Thanks for your time, Tony. And, My absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for um, enjoying our podcast. And shout out to Jamie. Um, good luck Friday, Jamie. He'll be fine. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.